Welcome to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter. Whether you feel that you don't have enough money to start investing or are under the preconceived notion that investing is only for the wealthy, Magnus and his expert guests are here to help you. Now here is your host, Magnus Carter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Magnus Carter. You are definitely listening to the Making More Money for You show on Voice America Business Channel. Uh, I want to sp- take a few moments to thank my last last week's guest, uh, Mr. Kawakawa, uh, for with Simply Cashflow for being on the show and telling us all about multi-home dwelling units and how to invest in them and how to actually get started with it. That was a great show, which means that brings us up to today's show is going to be uh, another different feat because we're going to go in a completely different direction of actually going from tech company startups to actually automated systems that do everything for you. And for me, I have guest Will Basta from Send Ecom. Welcome to the show, Will. Hey, Magus. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Oh, absolutely, Will. So, you know, after reading your your bio and talking with you for a little bit, you know, just before the show and whatnot, how did you get started in investing from going from a healthcare major from Arizona state to actually investing in tech companies and going to tech companies? Yeah. So I, I will just sort of clarify that a little bit. I mean, I worked, I worked, I wanted to be clinical initially okay. clinical as in going down the doctor MD route. Um, I quickly realized clinical was not for me. Uh, and then I, after graduating, it was more of how do I get involved in the industry of healthcare, but not be clinical. And that led me into health technology, right? Okay. So I worked for, for about 10 years, I worked for a multitude of health tech startups um, that were bringing innovative, uh, pretty much innovative software solutions to the clinical practice and to patients. Uh, to sort of improve quality outcomes for patients in, in all different indus- in all different specialties from cardiology to mental health um, to nephrology. Uh, so that is, it was a startup environment and I was under as a W2 at that point, but in that environment, you get a lot of, there's a lot of, it's very fast paced and there's a lot of parallels you can draw between working for a startup uh, that's got sub 20 employees where you have a role, but you're really wearing a thousand different hats to actually being an entrepreneur. So I found that fast paced environment very, very intriguing. Um, I did love healthcare, but while I was doing that, I was also getting involved in, in you know, different, uh, different opportunities in the digital space, you know, everything from e-commerce to digital marketing, et cetera. And, you know, that sort of led to, led to, uh, you know, an investment in the automated space where we are today, which is an investment in a so-called competitor of my current company at that time, oh. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, like we were investing, really? we were interested in e-commerce and the, the ability to invest in assets in e-commerce, knowing that it is the future. I'm specifically on Amazon and I already had experience on Amazon on the side. And there's these businesses that were popping up that were doing all this for you, considering I was still employed and didn't have much time on my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a great model, you know, right. When you can invest with someone who's an expert in the space and they can handle the investment in e-commerce for you. But my business partner and I quickly started to realize after that investment, we, you know, we unraveled the inefficiencies in the industry. We said, hey, this is a great model all around, but I don't think anyone really knows what they're doing. <laughs> and so <laughs> okay. that just that's where my company spawned. We took a, a broken model that was out there, which is 
technically you can use the buzz term Amazon automation or e-commerce automation because those companies are popping up everywhere. They are everywhere right now too, but most of them are ineffective, right? And so we took that model and we essentially refined it, brought in our acumen, our experience, uh, and flipped the script on how to build a company like that by focusing on logistics and infrastructure first in a digital space. Um, cut to, yeah, now, now we're uh, pretty, pretty well established, I'd say. So. Oh, that that's wonderful, especially with Amazon. You know, uh, I, I've tried it. I've I've failed, and when I yeah. tried it, it was a very bad. It was a very bad uh, economy because everybody stopped working, everybody stopped selling. Uh, so I, I can attest to you know the flaws in the system, especially, and that's one one reason why I, I looked at that as a like we were talking about before was an, a digital asset and also an income stream. And that's yeah. when I actually decided to to fully fledge my my time and my energy to publishing and and writing and whatnot. So it, it, it's yeah. still there that I want to keep doing it. But you your company wasn't around when I was started looking yeah. at this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is not you know our our clients. We've got almost five hundred clients now, two warehouse facilities in Dallas, an office here in Los Angeles, which I'm currently at right now, and, and you know hundreds of employees, millions of revenue, and, and the commonality between all of our clients. Of investors, I mean, they have all different backgrounds: school teachers, people who are getting their graduate degree, retirees, veterans, financial sector, real estate—you name it. Most of them don't have time, right? Exactly. So they're they're investing with us because we handle pretty much ninety nine percent of the legwork, and we're essentially an infrastructure that's already well established. So if we reverse back to your situation a few years ago, right? Instead of you putting you know blood, sweat, and tears into this mm-hmm. and you know, probably having failure before you have success, which I've had in the past too, um, you would invest with an organization like us where you still own the business outright, but we actually leverage our infrastructure, our team, our data, our warehouses, everything that we've built that's right. extremely expansive in this space uh, and, and you know, a pretty well-oiled machine. And we leverage that on behalf of you for you, for your business. And then you just sit back and collect the check as you're, asset appreciates and as it begins to cash flow oh that would have made things a lot easier and (laughs) amazon is definitely not going anywhere if anything they constantly keep expanding everywhere you turn around they're expanding uh warehousing and they're they own fleets um like a (laughs) small small country worth of vehicles that they deliver everything to because they have the one day shipping the two day shipping uh even some areas are same day which is yeah, insane. they got same day. You know, we also work with Walmart as well, which is a massively emerging platform. Uh, surprising, surprisingly enough, like they've been around forever, but their e-commerce has been lackluster. Uh, but there's an eighteen billion dollar initiative right now on their e-commerce um, third-party selling platform. So under two hundred thousand sellers. So, but they, yeah. So there's fulfillment by Amazon, which is our Amazon Prime. We also work on FBM, which is fulfillment by Merchant. Because we have our own warehouse facilities that are exclusively ours, we don't share any kind of warehousing or infrastructure like a lot of these organizations do. That was one of the problems we saw back in the day was people saying that they have their own warehouse facility when it's really like deliver with two R's they're using or they're using Shiphawk or some third-party logistics company that they're sending their clients products to and therefore there's zero prioritization, right? But we're able to do FBM and actually fulfill directly out of our warehouse as well um, and have that be that prep center, which keeps margins high keeps fluidity in the actual supply chain. Uh, and on top of that, it just it, it keeps the ability to have more transparency into what's actually going on with your business. Because you can actually visit. You know, 
we, we are not hiding behind any screens as a company. It's a digital space these days, but I think it's important to still have some brick and mortar. Um, whether or not um, you need a warehouse facility or not, we still have our office here, which clients come to too. So being able to shake hands or at least having that option when you're investing in a good chunk of change, I think is pretty important as well. Oh, wow. That's that's diversity right there. Now, let's let's go back a little bit here before we got... You know, you got everything all ironed out. When you did work with these tech startups, now, did you jump from company to company uh, trying to advance or were you trying to figure out uh, figure out how you were doing? Yeah, I mean, uh, yes and no. My first stint was a, I actually worked for a large organization called DaVita, which is a dialysis company, but they had a tech startup within them, right? So I was okay. under the umbrella of DaVita, which is a Fortune 500 company. Massive healthcare organization in the US, it's a billion dollar company, um, but they have subsidiaries, right? And so I was under their, their tech arm with, with 30 employees. I, I learned healthcare under that organization. Once I left them, my real thing was working for companies that I saw were making an impactful difference in whatever specialty they were in. Okay. You know, pretty much, you know, equipping physicians and, and patients to improve outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. And most of the time it was a company that had less employees and I knew that I could have an integral part of their growth, right? Where I can look back in a year and say, Hey, look, look where this is now. Like, look what I brought to the table here. That's a gratifying feeling. I I probably worked for about three or four and I consulted on the side. So I'd, I'd, I'd help other on the side. I was also working for, I mean, you have the word startup is, is, you know, that term can mean literally the founder and that's it. Or it could honestly mean three, a 300 employee. Like I consider us a startup still, even though we've been around for three years and we've got 500 clients, 300 employees and millions of revenue. Mm-hmm. We're still a startup in that stage in the sense where we're constantly growing and there's, you know, we're improving day by day as we learn, you know, you know where we need to improve upon, right? Right. Um, so I, I think it's, my point is it's a general term. And so it's hard to really distinguish right. like what is a real startup? So there's plenty of them out there that had, three, four, five employees where I would consult with as well and sort of like see the real, real raw beginnings of these companies uh, and sort of give my input because I've worked for established and non-established companies and and help them build out pretty much their um, their business development programs, their marketing operations and sales and all that kind of stuff as well. Okay. So all that, the years of experience that you've gained from that, that led you to, to create your own company then, your Ascent, Ascent e-commerce? Yeah, you- it, it, yeah, it was, you know, it was, I think it was, that's all part of the journey mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day. But what really spawned it is that, that what I mentioned previously was being invested in a program, which we saw so much potential in that just wasn't done right. And we just knew we could do it better. And then when we were thinking about how we could do it better, when you combine Jeremy, my business partner, and my experience, I mean, I had that experience working for companies at, at, a, at that kind of stage, the startup stage, right? So that's integral experience regardless of the industry. That's part of the process of building out a company from ground one um, and then from the ground floor. And then Jeremy worked already for a large e-commerce company at one point. He was getting his MBA from Michigan. And so he runs operations for our company and we both wear a lot of different hats. But my point is there's a lot of synergy in terms of our experience, both in e-commerce and also traditionally in business okay. um, and in the tech world where we knew we could bring that experience and integrate it into the actual growth of this organization and do it the right way. Because a lot of the companies that were out there 
I could, I, I don't want to speak for every company because there are good players besides us. They're just hard to come by. Most of them were, you know, a lot younger people right out of college thinking they could just start a company outsourcing almost every part of their processes. Uh, maybe there was some kind of guru on Amazon for once and they thought they can automate things. And a lot of these things are like, you could be successful on Amazon once. It doesn't mean you're successful at building and running a company or an organization. Those are two different things. And so I think a lot of the inefficiencies came from the fact that a lot of these people don't know how to run a company itself, um, whether or not they know how to build an Amazon business, because there's a lot more layers to it than just being making a successful Amazon business when you want to have a scalable organization that's providing an investment opportunity um, to people. So, Okay. Now, with all these different layers and, and, and actually combining them all together did you make is your business pretty much modular that you've actually just taken bits and pieces build it out and then bring it together or did you bring it all together and then start moving things around uh yes and no uh, i'd like to say that you know i like to think that the way that we approached it specifically in the first year was we're not going to go zero to 100 year one what we're going to do is we're going to get a sample pool of clients organically without running ads, that 10 to 15, which we were able to get over a period of about three to four months, prove out our model, let them know what they're getting into, mm -hmm. how we're, this is sort of a new opportunity and, and a new way that we're doing this. And we've never ran an organization like this. So be transparent in, in the business model itself, right? Um, and our experience in doing it. And what we did is we did that for a year, proving out all of our operational things that we knew that we had to have in place for when we actually go go to the market with this and start, you know, bringing in larger lead generation. And so, you know, like, for example, we knew that we needed our own warehouse. We didn't get that in the beginning. We got that um, probably about a year and a half in because okay. it was necessary once the volume was at a certain degree. About 60 clients, 70 clients, 100 clients is when we knew we needed our own facility. And so, the, so it, it was one of those things where we planned it out with the first year, knowing where our capacities were before we have to integrate and, and sort of layer on more parts of the infrastructure. Cause you don't need to get a 20, 30,000 square foot warehouse if you have 10 clients, right? No. So we didn't get that in the beginning. Plus this is bootstrapped, bootstrapped. We had zero investors. This is our own money. All the money we we're making from clients who we were pumping back into the business. And so the short answer to your question modular in the fact that it was planned where we would layer these pieces of the business in different phases, knowing okay. ahead of time that we were going to need them once we had a certain degree of, of revenue and or um, client uh, client base numbers. So. Okay. All right. That's, that's fair enough because at, you actually, you took the time to foresee what was, go what can actually happen. And you definitely planned that into your, your startup. You're starting yeah, the business. It's extremely important to I think at the end of the day, when you're when you're starting a company, you know, I think a lot of founders and a lot of entrepreneurs, when they have employees, entrepreneurs in the sense of actually having their own company, and, and when it starts to do well and stuff like that, it's very easy to get into the habit of doing everything yourself and not mm -hmm. hiring. And also getting greedy once the money starts coming in and not pumping it back into the business. That's something we've never done which I think has been very, very integral to our success is the fact that we have actually overemployed ourselves generally with like a, I'd say anywhere between like an eight to 16 week lead time. When I say that, I mean like we 
well, we got we just opened our second warehouse facility, for example. We probably don't need it. We opened it in August. Probably don't need it until November. We have a strategy where we don't catch up to ourselves. We are proactive in okay. our growth. It's the same thing with hiring employees. We have always done our best to hire ahead of our growth as opposed to catching up to our growth because that's when you have growing pains. That's when you start to bust out of the seams with your growth and it ends up affecting the actual client experience and it, it stains the quality outcome of the actual businesses that um, we are building for people when you internally become disorganized and fragmented. So I'm not saying we're perfect because we're not, but right. that's something we kept, it, it, we're cognizant of, and I think has also helped in our growth and, and helped us to get to where we are today. Oh, that's fantastic planning. What, what, with your planning, how often do you go back and, and reassess everything with your partners? I mean, all the time. We <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, assess what's going on. It's such a fast-paced business. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why, like, I don't, you know, we've got a, a sales team of about seven or eight people. We've got a m- huge marketing team, huge operations team, huge management team. There's teams all over the place for everything. And so the stuff that I was doing for our business a year ago is not what I do now. Now everything's about innovating, strategical, you know, plans, how we can sort of change business models, advance it to the next level, mm-hmm. reassess what's been done the last six months, improve upon that. A lot more of it is is, is a lot more complex um, when it comes down to my seat and Jeremy's seat and a couple of other people in the leadership category. Uh, so, you know, we've gotten to that degree where it's, yeah, we, we are constantly looking at, like, I'd say it's almost like every month we look at how did this month progress? What were the biggest issues this month? You know, what have we achieved? Um, and what is really the plan for the next three months? And that plan for the next three months could change the following month. Like, <laughs> it's actually never stayed the same. So it always changes because there's always, there might be some parts of it that will remain intact in terms of what you planned for the future of the business. But as things evolve, we also innovate and we come up with new strategies and new ways to implement new business models for clients. And it's an exciting thing to be a part of, um, but it's very, very fast paced. And that's why also, you know, where we are today, you know, starting a company two and a half years ago, and I can confidently say we're number one in the industry right now. It's because we have these, we're not spinning the same wheel we were the week before or the month before. We're constantly thinking in a proactive manner. We're also being ethical, ethically sound in our practices with our clients. And when we have issues, we face them head on with clients with integrity and we find solutions. We don't run away from them. And I haven't really seen too much of that in the industry. So um, it's definitely helped us get to where we are. And, and it's the mentality we're going to have moving forward. That's, you don't hear that a lot in this day and age what's with pretty much any company and to actually see that you're doing that and putting your your values you have a team of like values that are actually pushing this and a couple of my shows ago uh that is seems to be the main one of the main things that keeps pushing for success and that's one for the for the listeners out there you know we're you're hearing the same information, but from way different aspects from different professionals and in totally different fields. So it has, it has to work as long as you're willing yeah. to put the work in. Yeah. Do it's about work. doing, doing the right thing and not cutting corners. Um, I don't think cut corners has, has done good for anyone in this kind of position. So we don't do that. Um, we are constantly putting money in R and D and we're ensuring that even our clients that might be disgruntled a little bit, we make it right by them. Or whatever issues they might have had 
Um, as you can have 500 clients and I have some upset ones for some, whatever reason it may be, it could be nominal. You know what I mean? That's just the nature of business. Right. right. Um, but we don't ignore those and we, we make sure that we want to bring value to everyone and we want to make sure we're on the same page. So it's an important factor when it comes down to running a company like this. And, and also it, it, it leads to your mentality as a leader when you have a company growing at this trajectory, it's, it's, it's having that mindset is very important personally as well, because then you can wake up every day and know you're doing the right thing. You know what I mean? There's too many companies out there that are cutting corners on shit and leaving information out on clients and they're investing a good amount of money. Why would you not want to be a transparent company unless you're doing something fishy? You know what I mean? So doors are open on our warehouse, doors are open on everything we do. And then, and we're here to make sure that everyone has those questions answered and, and we're, we're fixing the issues that that arise when they do. So, well, and it's good that the issues arise because yeah. it gives you an opportunity to uh, advance on them to actually figure totally. something out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They then those problems happen because, like, right. say when when a problem happens, it's 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 not like our whole client base gets affected with the same issue, no. right? But when there's a new issue, we say, mm-hmm. "Oh shit, okay, we can't let this happen with anyone ever again." Mm-hmm. So, but it got, of course, that one client was a guinea pig unfortunately right so we do right by them and we make sure that that is resolved rectified in whatever manner it may be and this could be small right we don't really have large issues that arise all the time it's just more of basic operational things that's why i still look at us as a startup because Mm -hmm. you still have to make sure there's still refinement always with operations we're not perfect in that but there's there's you know we're a lot better than a lot of other organizations and, and and i just always look at it as there's always room for improvement right but we take those issues that we have and number one is making it right by the client, move, having them move past it, right? And keeping the partnership strong and the trust there. And then also making sure that we have preventative measures in place to avoid this from ever happening again in the future. So. And then your paperwork and your documentation always updated with this because it's not just you that's running the company. As long as you're transparent with your your uh clients but also with your your workers am i right your your yeah i mean to be honest with you i mean i'm not seeing every issue we have doesn't come across my plate okay you know what i mean come across my desk plate desk whatever the saying is right (laughs) it's you know what i mean it's like if it gets escalated you know i might have a couple of months where it's truly escalated to me where they're really looking for serious input on my end Mm -hmm. um i'll see a few issues prior to that but um you know we have we have employees in place that are really, really good at what they do. Um, so they, they see what's happening first, right? I only am aware of some of the, I, at the end, when we do the, like you just mentioned before, and we reassess the business. Yeah. The most looming issues of that month we'll discuss, right? Cause there's a lot of ones that are just basic and, and it's not even an issue and the client thinks it is and we can fix that in two seconds. Right. Right. I don't have, I personally don't have time to go over those kind of things, but the ones that have enough weight, are the ones that we take it leadership takes in and then we you know we look at plans ahead with our actual leadership of our whatever division it is if it's customer success operations finance whatever um and we put an action plan together to prevent it kind of thing and so everyone's fully aware always you know it's 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 crazy if you looked at even if you joined as a client in six six months ago to compare, compared to joining as a client now it, it's it was great back then but like it's so much better right now. <laughs> so it's 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 wild to think about it. We always think we're it's so great, and then we look back six months later, and it's like, wow, look where we are right now. And that is awesome for not only the employees, but also for the clients that've been with us early on. 
and seeing the train just progress, you know what I mean? In, in the right direction, whether it's warehouse expansion, whether it's, um, you know, pretty much our tech stack in terms of what, how we, um, how we communicate with our clients and how we collect the data of their business and the progress, financial analytics, et cetera, um, progress on their businesses, revenue driving um, aspects of their business, uh, just access to new products, wholesalers, whatever it may be. Uh, there's a multitude, there's a whole list of, of, of things that have improved, right? And it's it's cool to always assess that, you know, every I think look at it in every six months because you can see a bigger picture of where business has been in six months, especially in a year, right? Um, and it's it's monumental every six months, I'd say. Oh, you see the every six months, plus you see all the things that happened within those six months that actually drove it. Uh, yeah. like the current affairs and uh, the way the world is working right now. Uh, this And you can also, do you also see trends with that when you look back to six months? Do you see certain trends that start to populate over e- even the two years uh, that you've started? I mean, I haven't read into the data that much. I mean, there's obviously, it depends how we pull the data and what you mean by trends. I mean, there's there's trends for products, there's trends mm-hmm. for sales and progress and client stories. Right. There's also trends for for our growth because right now people are concerned about real estate investing because it's pretty inflated right now. I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. you shouldn't invest in real estate, but it's pretty expensive depending on where you are and you oh, know yeah. whatever. And rates are bad and all that kind of stuff, right? And then you have stock market, which you know was <laughs> really on yeah. a serious downturn up until like <laughs> yesterday. It's just oh, it's just volatile. Crypto has crashed and mm-hmm. is sitting in a bear market at the moment. Inflation's at eight percent or whatever the number is right now. And if you have cash in the bank, you're losing money. So it's why where are you going to invest if your traditional investments are not there? But you see Amazon trucks coming around the neighborhood every single day. And Amazon's projected to grow eight percent in this Q4 from last Q4 in this past year. That might be less than it would have done without inflation, but it's still growing. So e-commerce is only 16% of the market right now, and it's going to be 95% of, of all purchases in about 20 years, a little under 20 years. And so people look at, hey, okay, well, Amazon is, you know, e-commerce is a market I want to tap into. It's a, it just passed the 5 trillion mark this year. Mm-hmm. And so when I say that, I mean, we've seen an uptick in, in client interest over the last few months since inflation has really been on the, you know, on the news. Uh, surprisingly, we've been, you know what I mean? We've had more people come to us because, and I'm talking about investors that are well-seasoned, maybe not in e-commerce, but financially, and also ones that aren't. But people are looking for that alternative investment, something that's sustainable, you know what I mean? And so we've had a, a swath of people come in our direction looking for a true partner in the space. Um, and that's definitely a trend based on, I, I attribute it to the the financial market right now and the, the minimal opportunities that there are in terms of investing in a manner that's secure. Uh, I, I agree. And wow, well, we are already done the first half of the show. <laughs> it, was it, quick. It, it was extremely quick. Uh, we did talk about your startup, uh, how you started it, how you got from the health tech industry to the uh, tech startups to actually uh, FBAs and starting your own company. And we're actually in the middle of how you're actually assessing your companies at the moment. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, yep. we're going to go a deeper dive into this and, and see where your where uh ascend ecom is actually going to go next awesome. uh, everybody thank you for tuning in uh i have my my special guest will basta and i'm your host magnus carter and we're going to be right back
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Everyone deserves the opportunity to have access to the knowledge to make their own choices when it comes to where their money goes. Listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter will give you that access. Investing isn't just for the wealthy. Making More Money for You, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter. If you have any questions for Magnus or his guests, join us on the show at 866-472-5789. That's 866-472-5789. Now back to the show. Here is Magnus Carter. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm Magnus Carter. Uh, this show, we're actually talking about e-commerce, tech startups, and streamlining a, a different type of income and growing digital assets to invest in your portfolio. With me to do that, I have Will Basta from Ascend Ecom. Welcome back, Will. Good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, you know, the first... First half of the show flew by. Not gonna lie, we talked about <laughs> everything from your start, your uh, your initial startup in uh, startup companies, health tech, and actually seeing a flaw in e-commerce and taking that flaw and building your own company that's completely uh, that has transparency throughout the whole process with your your customers and your clients and your your workers, and we're and that brings us to like right here with a uh, ascend ecom. Yeah, I mean that's that's you know what what we stand by is transparency. You know, it's growth, transparency, sustainability. You know, we want people to look at e-commerce as a sustainable asset, not not something that's like quick passive income and your store gets shut down or it's not looked at long term. Historically, it wasn't looked at long term, um, and it wasn't also approached in a long term manner from anyone who's providing it as a service. So that's that's what we switched <laughs> was 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 approaching e an e-commerce investment as a true digital asset that will appreciate over time. That's a sustainable um, venture that can produce cash flow as well, but also be a form of digital real estate, just like the internet boom in the nineties. You know, mm -hmm. If I had baby babies.com, that'd be worth a good amount of money. Just like if you have a good business on Amazon or in the digital space, that's going to be worth a good amount of money if it's done right. So we really want to change the mentality around it as well as just how 
providers like us operate and legitimize the space. Absolutely. And uh, the on the the big uh, company side, Amazon, Walmart, they thrive on businesses like yours because they're making a lot of money on it because they're going to get repeat customers. Yeah, right. they, they're, yeah, I mean, over 50% of Amazon's uh, revenue from Amazon.com, this is not including like Prime Video and stuff like that, uh, comes from third-party sellers. So the, the basis of the products that you're receiving when you purchase on Prime and non-Prime is always non-Amazon, but Prime specifically, like roughly 60, 70% of that is is actually owned by third-party sellers just coming out of an Amazon warehouse. And they make money off storage fees. They make 15%. Um, roughly it can vary depending on the product category of of the product sales and stuff like that. So they're making a killing and they're also controlling their own brand if it's through Prime. They love you. If if you do it the right way, if you do it compliantly, if you don't cut corners, you know, if you're if you're doing it in a manner where you're doing it as a partnership with Amazon and not trying to, you know, beat around them kind of thing. And that's when stores get in trouble. <laughs> and a lot of companies out there will will do that specific thing. They'll leave out the truth of how to approach a business within terms of service of Amazon. And they'll get clients' investments locked up with Amazon because Amazon can be pretty, pretty powerful and pretty, pretty evil if if you, if you try to cross cross their line in a manner that is against the rules. Um, and they can hold your money for as long as they like. So it's always good to play by the book. Just do it the right way, you know. And you'll you'll last longer and you'll have a more profitable business at the end of the day. Yeah, and and to speak to that is if they don't like the, the way a certain products or products being sold or whatnot they'll just take over and not allow anybody else to sell it's that's horrible especially one of the um one of the lucrative ones that you have a good uh good margin with yeah they yeah there's they to speak to that you know they historically they you know they're a big data company right so they're mm-hmm. collecting data on products they will develop an amazon basics product to replace slice from the margins because they have more money or source it themselves because they have more money and they can do they can, they can do that. Um, I I do have some inside information on that, that apparently I don't say it's too inside anymore because I've seen a couple articles written about Amazon sort of stepping back a little bit from their Amazon basics categories. Um, wow. I think it's turning into a little bit more of a monopoly situation. They might have government or federal pressure on them because it's like almost like they're taking over too much. So I think that weight that as sort of, you know, they've, they've stepped out a little bit of that. I'm not saying it's not a risk. I say the biggest risk in investing with Amazon and having inventory is Amazon coming in there and undercutting you, right? Not really a competitor when it comes down to the same client. But that's why we balance out our portfolios for clients on Amazon. We're doing a mix of FBM. We're doing a mix of FBA. We're doing a mix of private label products. We're doing a mix of wholesale distribution products. We're doing a mix of basic arbitrage. Uh, okay. You know, there's you mitigate risk by touching on multiple different fulfillment and product sourcing strategies. Uh, that's at, at the end of the day, that's how you're going to have a more profitable business because it opens up doors for, you know, diversity and capital allocation as well. If one category is doing better, if a wholesale wholesaler might run out of a product, you can pump more of your money into another product that's doing well, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like when you invest in the stock market, you know, instead of investing in one stock, you invest in a mutual fund that spreads everything over. And it, it, exactly, it's and you can even look at it a more macro scale of e-commerce in general. Mm-hmm. If you have the capital, don't just buy one business or don't just start one Amazon oh, business. Right. Everyone's every Amazon store will have a different trajectory. Every Amazon store will have a different product mix. Every Amazon store will essentially you can put more emphasis on private label and maybe like again 
you know, allocating your capital to a slightly different strategy on another Amazon startup. You have a bundle of them in your portfolio. And then there's also Walmart. So you can cross sell products on both that are doing well. And, and most of the time you're going to have higher margins on Walmart, maybe slightly less foot traffic depending on the category. But at the end of the day, the easiest way to look at it is you're covering more ground. Why not cover more ground? You know what I mean? And also oh, why not mitigate risk? Because who knows who knows what might happen with one store? I'm not saying it's going to get terminated, but who knows what might happen with maybe a product on one store falls flat for a little bit. You, you can make up with that. You can also give you the ability to sell an asset and keep one for passive. So you don't want to be in a position in three years where you only have one Amazon business that's doing well. You could sell it for half a million or you could keep it at generating you 15 grand a month in profit. Like that's sort of a tough decision to be honest with you. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's like... You know what I mean? Like who wants, you want that big chunk of change, but that could be worth more later on, which probably will be. And also you're getting consistent money. You don't need 500K at once most of the time. 15 grand a month is great for passive income. So point is, is that there's diversification within e-commerce, not only diversifying out of regular investments into e-commerce, but once you're in e-commerce, having a diverse portfolio of businesses within e-com is a whole other conversation to have. And then diversifying how those businesses are actually run in terms of fulfillment and product sourcing. So you can keep peeling back the layers of diversification in terms of wh- when you start this business, why to get into it, and then how to actually approach the business, and okay. then how that business actually runs itself. So, wow. Well, that's a lot more options than when I I looked into it. <laughs> yeah, and a lot less headaches. You're, you're not going to hear this stuff from some guru on YouTube. This is this is this is how these real businesses should be run, um, <laughs> and that's that's why we we got to where we are today is because we have a real approach to this. It's not. There's no fluff, no smoke. You know, this is about real investment management in this space that is emerging and growing at an insane rate. Seven, seven, eight trillion in the next few years All industry. Right. So yeah, a lot of growth ahead. Well, plus everybody has a cell phone that they order from. If you don't have, you know, we want it, we want it today or we want it tomorrow. If yeah. not, we don't want it at all. There's that. Yeah, it's important. It's also you have to look at the fact that like people, they 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 might have that question of like, you know, they don't understand that it's not just not just selling toys on Amazon. We're mm-hmm. selling necessities, mm-hmm. food, yeah, baby products, cleaning supplies, automotive stuff. Like these are things that you need day to day. So yeah, there's impulsive purchases. But even in economic situation, economic downturns like we currently are in right now, people still, they might be reducing money on gas and buying stuff online. And the, and the pandemic only, what it did is it, it brought more lifelong shoppers online. So this is not some kind of bubble thing because oh, no. technically right now, where e-commerce is, I know I mentioned before the break that e-commerce is roughly 16% of the retail market. Mm-hmm. Like people shop, 16% of shopping comes online, right? That's the easiest way to look at it, right? What was predicted before the pandemic, at this point, we'd be at like 13%. So the pandemic had a bubble in 2020, but that bubble bursted and it didn't really drop below what was predicted. It actually stayed above what was predicted. So it accelerated the inevitable in terms of online shopping. And it made that shopper that might pick up the kids from school and go directly to Walmart to get groceries shop online during the pandemic and they've never shopped online before became comfortable shopping online and now they pass walmart and they go directly home (laughs) and go to walmart.com you know what i mean so those kind of it it brought on shoppers that normally would not have been comfortable doing it 
And the beauty about Walmart and the beauty about Amazon lockers too is that you have the capability. Walmart specifically, they're leveraging this a lot, is 90% of Americans live within 10 miles of a Walmart, right? right. That's 90% of the US. They are using Walmart not only as it's 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 not only, you know, you know, physical marketing all across America, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it is also a pretty much a logistics center. People can purchase online and pick up at Walmart too. Oh, absolutely. So, you know what I mean? And then you're just, just like Amazon lockers, right? So there's, yeah, there's just so much opportunity that, that, you know, that is ahead with this and, and Walmart's an exciting conversation to have simply because they are in their infancy phases, ironically, given how large they are as a company in their e-commerce initiative. So how they're going to be, yeah, you know, (laughs) yeah, they were mainly based on, uh, store locations because i remember i remember way back when when walmart first started becoming super centers and uh the ceo at the time did a an interview i think it was on either cnn or uh, one of the business channels it might have been a different one is they they would rather sacrifice or self-cannibalize their profits to put a walmart 15 miles away from each other instead of losing that extra money yeah and that's yeah now it's insane it's pretty wild. Uh, you know, like they, they just, they were the number one retailer up until last year. Amazon surpassed them. Um, not by a lot. They're pretty much head on face to face in terms of revenue. Um, and that's brick and mortar revenue and e-commerce revenue combined. I was thinking Amazon doesn't have, they do have some brick and mortar actually. <laughs> Amazon does have those like Amazon stores. You can walk in and walk out and it charges your prime account. Which is pretty funny. Um, wow. But okay. that, yeah, I've been in one of those. They're, they're, I don't know how long they're going to last, but it's, yeah, it's sort of weird. It's sort of, <laughs> you know, it's like them trying to go backwards <laughs> in a way. But um, I don't, well, I forgot the point I was actually just trying to make there. Um, uh, in terms of, God, yeah, where I just had a brain. Uh, what direction were we just going? We were talking what? about Walmart. Uh, actually, self cannibalizing, uh, adding more, adding more. Uh, customers to your platform by taking a little away yeah from, yeah from sorry. A, uh, another location it's just it's just crazy because they you know they didn't have real access they didn't have open access to third-party sellers up until a few years ago which is like insane when you see amazon's growth via third-party sellers right, right? and then they opened the floodgates a couple years ago and they opened it up without being prepared uh, and they had so many non-compliant sellers on their platform and they bit off more than they can chew. The volume was insane. There was all these Harvard reviews. It was like imploding. Mm-hmm. That actually, about a year ago, they went. They had a hundred thousand sellers, and they just sliced them in half. They just terminated fifty thousand sellers. It was it was hurt on the stock market. It was hurt all over the place. Um, their e commerce platform was just like huge halt. Like whoa, we need to slow down, kind of thing. Um, now they're you know they're in the hundred thousand, hundred thousand plus sellers again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still there's a lot of things they need to fix. Their seller platform is a little, the tech is a little bit funky, right? There's all these these inefficiencies that are there, but the beauty of it is that there's less competition. Therefore, your margins are are way higher, and there's way more products that you can't find on Walmart that you can find on Amazon, which means yeah. there's more opportunity to sell different products in Walmart. So getting in as a seller now is is great. Um, we would never guide anyone to make their first investment in e-commerce to be Walmart. You want to start with the sustainable venture of Amazon. Amazon's like your index fund. Walmart's like a crypto investment. You know, it's a little higher risk, higher, you know, higher return. It's slightly volatile just because they're still mm-hmm. figuring out what they're doing. You know what I mean? 
Amazon might take a, might take a little bit longer for the business to get to a degree that's really really cash flowing, but it's stable. The platform is is sustainable, um, and we know how to get you there. And it actually is a proven asset that you can sell. Walmart isn't necessarily there yet. I can't say the same in terms of building a Walmart business out and selling it in in a year. I, I don't know if it's going to be there's going to be opportunity on the market that soon, given the inefficiencies on the tech platform. But Walmart, I know, or Amazon, I know there is. There's a huge market for selling businesses on Amazon. So there are those like pros and cons. Um, and so a diverse portfolio, every two Amazon businesses you buy, you should have one Walmart is the way we sort of approach it at Ascend Ecom. It's if you have enough money to purchase a portfolio, you know, three businesses at once, you do two Amazon and one Walmart. That's, a, yeah, that's diversify right there. That's yeah. okay. That's great. Now with all these technical technology advancements how how often are you upgrading your infrastructure with this uh, uh i mean we just recently i touched on it slightly uh, yeah yeah just a little bit break. before that we yeah. went through uh, your warehousing and whatnot and scalability Click. but yeah the software like we just we just literally migrated to clickup so clickup okay. is used by companies of all sizes they're extremely established tech platform from silicon valley um we use them for not only communication but it also integrates with our warehouse it also gets financial analytics for the client about their business um, everything under one roof as opposed to previously we were doing google sheet here you know <laughs> you know google sheet here for for some financial stuff right and then we had you know slack or river we would use, which is like Slack, same thing for communication. And then we had uh, app sheet, which is our internal app. Um, so we had three different things for a client to check and now oh it's my. consolidated into one. So okay. that's a huge advancement. That migration was a pain in the ass this summer, um, but it's done. <laughs> and now every client that comes in now, they don't know the difference, obviously they didn't have to go through the migration and we mitigated any kind of effect on clients as much as possible anyway. Um, but whenever you do a data transfer in, in tech, it's sort of uh, a pain in the ass. <laughs> and very, uh, very uh, fingers and like, hope it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. Now, you said you were based out of tech. What made you put your warehousing in Texas out of all the country? Yeah. What made Texas stand out for that? Uh, central location, number okay. one. Uh, we are 10 minutes from an Amazon distribution center. So we are in a warehouse part. Warehouse, kind of, it's Grand Prairie for your listeners that are from Texas or familiar with Grand Prairie. It's outside of Dallas. Okay, uh, I am. There's a lot, of, a lot of open land there. Yeah. We got two facilities next to each other. And the Amazon facility is actually under 10 minutes away. So when you send a product to Amazon's facility, algorithmically, then they'll distribute it out to an FBA center across the US based on what the product is where it makes the most sense for two-day shipping, where the data tells them, et cetera, right? right? But when it's centrally located, I think the opportunity is a little more vast, right? If the product's coming from, you know, so the cost might be lower uh, for ship times or whatever it may be. Um, also, our warehouse manager, uh, Helen, she actually relocated from uh, San Francisco Bay Area, and she has family in the Dallas area. So when we were picking out our locations, she felt comfortable relocating there because also she's got family that are now, some of them are now actually working in the warehouse as well. So there's <laughs> there's a multitude <laughs> of reasons. I, the biggest okay. was location, number one. And then it was obviously who was running the show down there, which is Helen. She's a gem. She's amazing at what she does. Uh, having 
a relocation is a big deal when you have a family. So she felt comfortable going to Dallas as well. So that's why I picked Dallas over Houston or Dallas over Austin or that kind of thing. Okay. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. I was just kind of curious because, you know, you have Iowa and then you have all the other flat yeah. states there. Uh, I was just kind of curious. What, <laughs> what made it's true? Sense? I mean, also, you know, there's direct flights from LA to Dallas. Easy. Right. Um, I'm not sure if Dubuque has direct flights from LA. <laughs> Dubuque, oh, LA. There might be indirect <laughs> flights there for that one. <laughs> no, I was joking. But um, yeah, it's also a metropolitan in that sense. So, you know, we could have the best of both worlds, have an established city, right? right. And then also, because a lot of our clients are also from Texas too. We run marketing down there as well. Um, we've got some employees from the marketing and sales organization that are in, are in Texas too. And as you know, Texas is um, in general, for tech companies and organizations since the pandemic specifically, a lot of people have been moving there too. Um, so it just worked out uh, timing wise and just logistically uh, overall, it just seemed like the best option. Everything was sort of drawing us in that direction um, for, for additional warehouses. We're at two right now. We'll eventually probably have upwards of four or five. Um, the next ones are going to be coast to coast. Okay. So we'll probably put one in Florida, um, not near a natural disaster zone, most likely in Northern Florida, um, potentially Orlando. Who knows? Um, and then West Coast, uh, Nevada, are our next two states we're looking at. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see Nevada for that. For well, one, it's all it's desert there, so you really don't have any uh, have any weather. So I can see that. Yeah, you don't need to worry about that. And it's also it's a lot cheaper than California. I mean, I'm not going to put a. I'm, I'm in our offices in Venice Beach, so you can't put a warehouse in LA <laughs> unless we want to go bankrupt. So <laughs> that's just not happening. <laughs> well, that makes a, a, definitely a lot of sense with, with everything. So now where do you see Ascend Ecom going from here? You already, you know, you're, you're expanded quite a bit. You're constantly expanding. You already have plans for uh, warehousing coast to coast, but where, where would you like to see it happen? What would you yeah. like to see happen next? Uh, on the, the next 24 month horizon is, is global expansion. So we have a lot of markets that are growing faster than the U.S. market for Amazon, which means a lot of opportunity for U.S. sellers as well. Canada is the number one growing market out of the U.S., not surprised because of proximity. After that, it's Germany, the U.K., and then Italy. So when I say expansion, there's two ways you can look at it. First way we look at it is as a current client right now or a future client, you are selling on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're testing an Amazon.ca, which is Canada, right? Mm-hmm. The Amazon.com account can also, that seller can get approved also sell both for Walmart and Amazon mm-hmm. in Amazon.ca, right? Mm-hmm. So expanding the selling capabilities for current clients into international, um, you know, having international reach because... Yeah, there's different products that do well in different areas, but there's also still a lot less products that are sold in the UK than there are mm-hmm. in the US. So there's opportunity for growth categories, right? I see massive opportunity there, right? That's number one with that. And then there's also the ability to also expand client um, options in the US, I mean, in um, in these countries. So we can actually have clients from the UK. We have a partner in the space now that um, can can get US credit and U.S. banking for foreign, mm-hmm. uh, for non-citizens. Uh, and so we have a network in Chile right now, a current client from Chile, 
he's got a network of people that are looking to sell as well. Um, same thing with Spain. Uh, we have some Canadian clients. Point is, what I'm trying to get at here is we also can have these UK clients not just sell in the US, but also right. sell in the UK too. So global expansion is is probably the next big step for us once we've gotten our warehousing down, like I just mentioned, and, and we're at the degree uh, where we want to be mm-hmm. in the US, uh, and then we'll take it from there. Oh, that's that's wonderful because I, I can attest to the global markets because my books, the Making More Money for You books, actually sell worldwide, and I have quite a mm. few sales in Japan and and also yeah. over in the UK, uh, especially on Audible. You know, yeah. I, the it's endless out there for what you guys are going to be doing. Yeah, it, it, it's. I mean, I, you. I actually have a contact, an old friend of mine from university. He used to work. He doesn't work for Amazon anymore. Um, I'm not sure the organization he's with, but he's with them for a few years internationally. He was living in Spain, working for Amazon in the EU, and his specific position, part of his role was sourcing land for FBA warehouses, right? all across the US, all across the the EU. And what was happening at that time was they were losing about, I don't know if that's the same thing right now, 30 to $40 million minimum per month uh, from FBA because they didn't have enough space for the demand of sellers, right? Oh my. So that shows you right there how much growth is ahead in, in Europe in terms of Amazon. It just like there, it's not even in Denmark. I was just in Copenhagen. Uh, earlier last month it's not even in copenhagen right now like there are there's so much expansion ahead in the eu uh and canada in general so yeah it's an exciting aspect to look at for sure okay wow that that's wonderful news and unfortunately will uh we're at the end of the show uh we're <laughs> going to be wrapping things up here so if my listeners want to get in touch and learn more about this and actually invest in being an fba or walmart uh, fulfillment center. Uh, how would, yeah. how can they find you and how can uh, yeah. they learn more about this? Yeah. Uh, there's information on our website. You can also book uh, an initial educational call with us. We're not really salesy. It's more of just let's learn about your background. We'll tell, we'll, our team will explain what we do. And that's on the SEND's website at www.ascendecom.com. So ascendecom.com, E-C-O-M. And then YouTube is ascendecom. And then we also have obviously our Instagram, which is probably the most robust in terms of posting. Um, we'll have probably have videos from this podcast specific or this this showing, as well as you know multiple other different things around the industry and what's sort of happening update wise with the company. That's okay. at ascend underscore ecom a s c e n d underscore ecom. So you can find us there. All right, thank you, Will, for being on the show. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Next week I have Tommy Breedlove, and we're going to talk about how we can make you. Uh, Build a legendary life. Thank you and have a great night. Thanks for listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter on the Voice America Business Channel. We look forward to the next show where we will be making more money for you. Until then, have a fantastic week.